0: Welcome to the 24 Stories podcast that aims to educate, inspire, and help build brands. I'm your host, Stephen Ryan, founder of 24 Stories, and I'll be joined each week by guests from a variety of industries, here to tell you how they built their brands. Welcome to Episode 8 of the 24 Stories podcast. This week, we're going to look at the area of eco-friendly athleisure. So we're taking you to the waters, and I'm joined this week by Tom Cotter, the CEO of of Ocean R. Welcome.
1: Cheers, Steve. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Tom, before
0: we get into the waters and all of that kind of stuff, I'm guessing that you had a bit of a background in surfing, had you?
1: Yeah, my my old man, he was kind of, there was a big industry of kind of like windsurfing, I think, yeah. when he was kind of my age, probably a bit earlier. So when he was 20, so that's said like 40 years ago. Yeah. There was a big gang and them would have been based out of Kinsale. Yeah. So he would have he would have gotten me into it. I, I'm okay at it, but I'm... Yeah, it would kind of be a jack of many trades. So kind of sailing, windsurfing, scuba diving—try them all, can kind of do them all, but not an expert in any of them. Okay, but you spent a lot of time on the water as a kid. Yeah, so we would have, I suppose, done all of the kind of oyster haven camps. That would yeah. have been like the first, yeah. uh, the first uh, experience of it. And I was quite, sh- I was quite shy and not, r- not really into it, but just kept doing it. And like every time we went on holidays, I was chucked into you know some sort of camp of you know whether it was a, a sailing camp for a week or whether it was mm. a windsurfing camp for a week just to build up your water confidence and yeah. then I would have done all the you know all the the field sports at the same time and um, when I kind of when I got a bit older then I started to kind of get more and more into it and um, so when I got to kind of 18, 19 I was then at kind of like instructor level I would have yeah. kind of done a lot of um, traveling then around the world um, as an instructor. So did you do that straight out of secondary school? Yeah. When I was doing my leaving cert, I had a very, very close buddy of mine um die. He actually killed himself. Oh my god. So we were I remember sitting in my like, your caprice, you yeah, know, you get the yeah, ones that you yeah. get experience for and I remember sitting and uh one in, in the big hall in Ashton in Ashton and the door opened and one of the teachers, you know, they very rarely walk in and I can remember him walking around and everyone kinda of looking being like, Oh, who's who's he going to and what's yeah, it about? Yeah. And he'd walk up and he'd kinda of come over to my over to my desk, and he said, "You know, um, can you come outside?" and And that was my first whatever paper one for yeah. your prees. Yeah, and that was, you know, came outside to the kind of devastating. He was literally my my best 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 buddy. And was he in school with you? No, so he was Cross Crassave, and I went to town. Yeah, but we would have kind of known each other since we were kids. Yeah, like born. Do you know that? Yeah, yeah, kind of, like, yeah, like kind yeah. of a not not related brother. Yeah, and um, whatever was going through his his mind at the time, and. It just put an end to, you know, the exams. I did the Leaving Cert, but like very, I don't remember it. I, you know, was, I got through it. Not at all. I remember, remember my mum just saying, you know, try and get through it. Just, you yeah. know, just get the yeah. piece of paper. Yeah. I was going for um, architecture. Yeah. um, So I was quite into like art and the creative side of school. And so like art, um... Architectural drawing, woodwork—you know, all that kind of side of things. Anything to do with design, I suppose. Yeah, I was yeah. dyslexic, so I, you know, the idea of doing anything that was writing was uh, was was um, was not high on the agenda. So, long story short, I got to kind of September after the after the exams, and still like head all over the place. You know, really, really upset. And my mom again just said, you know, instead of like lying around here for you know, for this this year and missing it, would you just do something? You know, would you just try and, would you try and just get into like either a part-time job? Would you get into a part-time course? We looked at a few things that I ended up doing outdoor recreation down in Kinsale. Oh yeah. So there's a further education college there. Yeah. I'd say up until that Christmas, it was like really hard. I probably did like two days a week and three days a week, but effectively is to go in on a Monday and you do kayaking go in on a Tuesday do windsurfing Wednesday rock climbing Tuesday, yeah. uh, Thursday sailing and finish up powerboarding on a on a Friday with maybe a half a day of actual uh, learning or writing Sounds so, like <coughs> a camp
0: coming to life kind of maybe for a,
1: a, like a, a kid's summer camp to turn into an education experience and the goal like there was a lot sounds awful but there was quite a few people that were kind of in my situation okay. you know that you know they'd that they needed a break, whether that was, you know, someone who was burnt out when they were 30 and they were, you know, yeah, had been in a yeah. professional job or they'd had something like mine or they'd had a an actual brother or sister maybe pass mm. away or whatever it could have been. And the goal was, you know, that there was probably 24 of us that you'd become an instructor in all those different disciplines. Yeah. Um. But again, it taught you how to be an instructor as well. Yeah. So like all public speaking, standing up in front of people, taking ownership. Um, coming up with, you know, you have a school coming in um, and there's, you know, 100 kids coming in and it's going to be, you know, force five wins and it's going to be pissing out of the heavens. But you can't turn around to their teacher and go, sorry, you can't take them today because yeah. they don't have a backup plan themselves. So what are you going to do as kind of, as a as an alternative solution for, mm-hmm. the, for the school? So that was in Kinsale and that may... Um, didn't know what to do. A lot of people were going back to Oyster Haven. They were going to be the instructor there and, yeah, and kind of yeah. get a bit of experience. And I had spent a lot of time um, going to Greece on our family holidays. We we just never go anywhere else. We just go to go to, to this one place in Greece. And um, there was a big windsurfing kind of uh, center. And, and uh, so there's like windsurfing, sailing, kayaking and diving. And I'd take groups of like, say, 10 to 20 on like six day kayaking trips around these Greek islands. Like cool. absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Couple that with like a lot of maybe partying, a lot of, um, a lot of social in the evening versus getting up in the morning, jumping in for a swim and then, and then taking this kayaking group around. Yeah. And so I did that for, the, for that season, then went back to college. Um, and then in the winter I'd work in Tubes. If you remember Tubes, oh, the I surf and yeah, yeah. skate shop. The crash kind of uh, killed that, which yeah, was yeah. which was a sad one to lose. So I did two seasons in, in Greece, um, probably like five months um, stints. And then we came back and there was me and my my now wife, girlfriend at the time, we would have been doing this all together. So she would have child minded and, and I would have done the, the instructing. And we got to September. I remember tubes actually kind of closing up you know, Ar- Ireland was actually ruined. Like there was nothing, yeah, there was yeah. nothing around. Yeah. And um, so we got on a plane and went to Australia and this, we spent five years in Melbourne. Oh, five years there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, probably the best, um, the best experience that we could have ever asked for. It was amazing. Absolutely incredible. Um. So we, we got off a plane, landed, landed in Melbourne as a sailing instructor, windsurfing instructor. Um. My wife was a HR, now, like trained as HR. Mm. She, she, Took a while to get a job and I rang kind of the local yacht clubs and they were all looking for, there was loads of Irish out there as, yeah. as sailing instructors. Yeah. And it was all through word of mouth. Within like four or five days I had been, I, I did not what I was on at the time, like you know, you were going from like minimum wage to 30 or $40 an hour, oh. you know, and, yeah. you were, and you were doing 40, 50 hours a week and we were getting like, you know, you're getting like 1500 bucks a, yeah. a, a week all yeah. of a sudden straight yeah. into like, Jesus, this is actually a proper a proper job over here. Yeah. And um the thing I found about the Aussies is that like they're quite trustworthy in the the graduates. Mm. So they would kind of put you into a position, maybe even to a management position, and then hold your hand and kind of train you. So I was put into a management position to look after budgets and, and marketing and advertising and also do the training. But I hadn't a clue how was even open an Excel sheet. But <laughs> I had a boss then that would actually sit down and go, this is how you work a profit and loss account and this yeah. is how you're going to present to the board. So I did that and um, I ended up running kind of one of the largest sailing centres for participation. So it wasn't a very big fancy place. It was more getting kids in the door and getting them interested in sailing and then hopefully starting them on this kind of pathway to them potentially coming Olympians. Okay. So they had this, fu- this huge pathway going the whole way through. And like, I think the thing that set us out in Australia is like our worth ethic. We, the Irish... The Aussies kind of laugh at us a small bit, but like we ended up running the show, like in everything, yeah, construction industry and and um, it's certainly in our industry. So like all of the the head coaches for even the Olympic boats were mm-hmm. all Irish people, yeah, all the biggest and and it's kind of sad because it means that like a lot of a lot of our talent is overseas being paid rather than actually training our teams at home because yeah. there, there is we don't have the budget for it. Um, but that's kind of not my yeah, it's not my yeah, world but- anymore.
0: Is it a case that they're trying to prove themselves abroad as well, that they're kind of maybe kind of like, you know, nobody appreciated me at home, so I'm going to do it somewhere else? Is there a bit of that? I do they work harder when
1: they move away? Like, did you? To be honest with you, I I didn't know anything else. I really, I was, I remember being feeling like really lucky to be in the in the position that I was in. Yeah. So it's either be like at home, maybe potentially un, unemployed yeah. or, or, you know, being on minimum wage versus now being in a job. That's, you know, I don't know what, I was maybe like 75 grand and I was 23. Yeah. yeah now yeah. that's Aussie dollar and everything, you know, but yeah, they were, again, I just say, like they were really, they were really supportive. But with dyslexia, like when you, like, when you took up that
0: management role, did you find it difficult doing those reports or, you know, like putting stuff down on paper, you know, the usual Absolutely. format
1: that we have to do? Like Absolutely. That, you know? So I'm fine with numbers. I'm great with numbers. Okay. But if, I, if you ask me to if you ask me to write a page on my thoughts of like how the how the year went. Yeah. Or like I couldn't think of anything worse. I just get a blank. I'm yeah. just like, I can't put what's in my head onto a page. Yeah. So, so I run away from it. I even, we hired someone recently to to literally just take that role for like tenders because yeah. you get these opportunities that someone goes, oh, you should tender for this. And, I'm, yeah. and it te- something at that level probably requires me to do it. But like coming up with a, even a four page tender is not my forte at all. Um, so I've learned again. You kind of learn along the way that I I could work with like say um, PowerPoints quite well because yeah. it's all visual. Yeah. Keep it simple. Yeah. Four or five lines, even an image if it's better. Yeah. And um, so if I'm ever doing a report now, I'm like, sorry guys, but it's going to be a really simple PDF uh, yeah. PowerPoint. So yeah. And I remember someone saying to me
0: years ago, you know, you know, people are made up of two different things. You either think in straight lines or think in circles. I'd imagine dyslexia is kind of that kind of thinking circles.
1: Yeah. You know, a- a- absolutely. I, 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 again, it's it's only something new to me, so I'm not really um I'm not like an expert on it at all. Yeah. But it happens every single day when I'm kind of I'm looking kind of with like senior managers in our team, and and yeah. and and they're kind of completely going like I have no idea what to do here, and I'm like, we'll I'll just do that. And for me, it, and i not mean that in a cocky way, but it's yeah, just like you're yeah. just like let's go around, let's go around it, or yeah, um, you know, they don't in our situation. Know, they don't they don't want a, this polo shirt and or it's the wrong shade of color, and I'm like, okay, well, let's try and give them this product because that's the right shade mm-hmm. and it kind of services what they're looking for instead of just saying that the deal is lost. Yeah. We kind of look at ways and creative ways to try and you know reignite it and keep it um keep it live but
0: you were you were very successful in Australia on a great income. Why come back?
1: We absolutely like loved it. Absolutely. It was just, it was literally the best. And we think about it every day, like genuinely going, you know, did to the, make, the, make the right decision or the wrong decision? Yeah. It's, and it sounds so cliche to go it's so far away, but it's, you. we were there four years and it was really gets to a point, even with your visas to you, everyone makes it out that, you know, it's, it's quite easy to get, say like a permanent visa, a permanent visa out there costs you about 15 grand. What is so what you thing? kind of have maybe even a lump sum saved and you yeah. go... Right, are we really committing to this forever? Yeah. And we're going to put our life savings into it. Yeah. Or we're going to take that 15 grand and come home and try and get set up here. Mm. And the way we looked at it was it was the first time that we'd ever made money. Do you know? So, like, we'd come yeah. out of college effectively. Yeah. You know, any job that you did was part time and it was a couple of yeah. hundred bucks here, or there, no money at all. And it was like, great. Australia is amazing. But it's the first time we actually have an income. So mm-hmm. it's like, is that the thing that's is, like, could Ireland be like that for us yeah. if we were able to get jobs and 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 to and to actually make a life for us here? Now it took us a hell of a lot longer to get settled back in Ireland than it did to Australia. It and is. It is. It's a really, I, like the people coming back all the time and there's a huge thing about the kind of um, this depression that you get when you return home because it's not that life that you were on, 80 grand a year and and the, the way, weather as well, the weather. You know, yeah. But the way I look at it though is is um when you're when you're in Ireland, you you know, you have family, and family are, you know, they're amazing and they're also like, you know, they're a stress to people, but they're, yeah. they're it's 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 a network. But there's also there's a, an element of you know, the real world being grown up, you've got to go visit grandparents that are getting elderly. You, you mm. might even have a, someone pass away. Um yeah. it, you know, you have no responsibilities. Whereas in Ireland you do have responsibility, or at home you, you typically do. The only responsibility that we had over there was looking after each other. It's like living in a fictional world or something, isn't it? It is, yeah. completely. And and that's what it's about as well. Like, you, Yeah, it's, it's escapism. It's, it's I do, escapism. I do, I do. Everyone did it. You know, my mum my and dad would have gone to Israel, I think, when they were to the kibbutz when they were younger. Mm. Um, so everybody does And that's what's travelling about. You know, that's what it's about is going yeah. and not having the responsibility and getting up and saying, oh, we want to go here today or we want to go watch the sunset. Mm. And it's lovely to do it but there is an element um, and I was really fortunate I, it was um, um, I came home and we were home probably two months and my mum got diagnosed with cancer oh, sure. so we were home and uh, like you know somebody was looking out for us somewhere yeah. to say that we got on the plane yeah. and she wasn't well when I came home and it was just um, an element that I was that i um, that we, it it was a, it was a brain tumor so she was she was actually diagnosed with depression even though she was like the most bubbly person on the planet yeah. and um and she went through depression well, she got treated for depression and I was going mom are you sure you're depressed and like, she was going no not at all yeah. and then she ended up kind of getting more severe and you know long story short she ended up with a a brain tumor and she passed away 5 months later oh God, so I had five so- we had we came home I had 2 months or 3 months with yeah. my with mom kind of undiagnosed And then I had five months, um, we had five months at home and she went into Marymount in, uh, in September, um, six years ago. So, um, what are we, so 2016. So we, we ended up, it was in in relating it to the business I had just received, I just received, um. Entry or like you've you've you know there's out in the Rubicon they do um, new frontiers new frontiers yeah so we had been just start I when I came back I'd been meeting with um my two buddies to start a company we didn't know what we were starting all I knew is I wanted to stay in the industry that you were in that in was, that I was in yeah but I couldn't do that so yeah. it was like what are you gonna do okay why don't we start a clothing company so we were just kicking this off and one of the channels to kind of get mentoring and get funding is through um. New Frontiers yeah. and I was working, I was actually selling electricity up um, by the airport and Horizon Energy and I was, and I it was doing quite well. And, and I remember just getting the email and I had to go in and like, I had to, you know, you had to go and be a full time participant in, in, in the New Frontiers mm-hmm. program. And I was there my second day and um, I remember my dad ringing me. He was like, Mum's gotten much worse. We're going to have to move her to, to uh, Marymount. So, she went into Marymount for 10 days and she passed away on the day of my birthday. <laughs> oh God. So, um, so that was the start of like the first kind of break that I had in In, in many Indy ways, Russia.
0: you were the only only child in the, in the house. Yeah. The fact that you came home probably meant the world to her though as
1: well. Like for those, la- you know. Yeah, absolutely. Like like the stereotypical like um, only child mother kind of relationship was like yeah. c- completely um, true in our house. So we had an amazing relationship and and just haunted, like uh, do you know, we, we. I know people that's happened to, and you get that call, and you're still, you know, you have your life set up there, yeah. you know, and you have yeah. a job, you might have a dog, you might have, you know, you've a, a network group out there, and you have to make that decision then of, am I going to come home? Yeah, you know, and then not have anything, and then, yeah, and then the mom or the or the dad is going, you know, that's sick is going. I don't want you to sacrifice your life out there. It's tougher. So everyone, we were yeah. so we were really really lucky, and we were living. We we moved back in um to my family home. So um. So we were there through it, and we couldn't mind my dad and yeah um, so yeah, that was kind of the roller coaster of coming home and kind of since then, and what did she think of your own initial business idea when when you were talking about setting up a company with your two friends? And yeah, stuff like that? funny enough now, I don't know if sh- if we if I can recall the time that we were discussed it, yeah, a lot. there was a real element of you know you're starting a startup. Yeah. And you also like we were, say twenty seven, and you do end up having responsibilities. So like my girlfriend at the time, my wife, like she was the one that's impacted because you're 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 doing startup world, and you're like I'm going to be, yeah, I'm going to go and run at this. This is my dream, um, but it's not paying me anything at the moment, yeah. And so there would have been more conversations around, you know, are you aware that you know if you were actually in. Multinational, you probably would be able to go to the cinema at the weekend. You probably would be able to take for yeah. for dinners and stuff like that. So there was um, there was an element of that. Probably conversation around just be sure about what you're doing. Really, and she was the person who encouraged me the most. Yeah, but she said like, can you find a nice balance of having like a part time job and then doing it? And that's my advice to everybody these days is to get that security first. Absolutely.
0: So when you started the business, there was you and two others, and. What was the
1: idea? You were going to make software, was it? Was yeah, that, was... yeah, yeah. So we used to we used to meet. It sounds crazy, but there was a bit. There was a lot of logic to it. So there was a, uh, the two lads that I started with, uh, Alex Musgrave from uh, Dog Day Media. So mm-hmm. he, so Al was like Mister Content Creation. Um, yeah, you know he's he's been my best friend since I was um, was young as well, and he he, he would have. Always said like you know if you want to run at doing something let's let's do it and and it really excited him yeah and so he he kind of stayed on as a I think he's a director still of Dog Day but he stepped aside to kind of run at this for a while yeah and then we had uh, John Downey who'd started Ramen you know the the fast food oh, yeah um, yeah so he yeah. had a business partner in Ramen but so the three of us used to meet and we're all interested in like water sports yeah and we used to meet in Palmentos and Douglas and have a, literally have a pizza like every. Uh, Monday afternoon, I think, and we just throw around ideas. And uh, John, I think initially just said like, Guys, "What's one product that we all wear?" And it's a, it's called a rash vest. So it's basically that skin tight sun top. It's like a base layer, yeah. but like you wear it underneath the wetsuit, or you wear it kind of for sun protection in warmer countries. Yeah,
0: he
1: said like, "There's no brand that's just doing them well." but also that all the Google analytics were going off the charts for like Google searches. Yeah. And you were starting to see them crop up, crop up in like proper, like mainstream stores like Brown Thomas and things, mm. and but they were still done poorly. Yeah. So we said, what are the, what are the USPs going to be? Okay, we, let's do uh, bright, colorful designs. Let's kind of add a few kind of um, uh, different cut to it and some performance features that kind of make it stand out from the crowd. And then let's make them eco-friendly. And at the time, there was probably—I remember looking for fabric. There was probably three fabrics that we spent three months trying to get. And now, all of a sudden, like I, I could probably name thirty or forty eco-friendly fabrics that we could use today. So it was really at that—you were at the kind start. of start of it, yeah. And um, and we did. I can tell the story both ways. You know, we 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 can tell the positive story, which is like you know we shipped to. 30 countries around the world. We were in stores in the UK, Australia, um, the West Coast of the States, um, quite most of the kind of outdoory shops in Ireland, a lot of them in the UK. But realistically, we never got to the the size of quantities that would like keep it as a business. Yeah. However, it would have been sustainable if I hadn't given up the full-time job. Okay. So you're... It could have been a nice part-time gig. Yeah. And then left, and then, and this is like my advice always is like, leave the, leave the, um, the side, the, the sideshow bit, outgrow the full-time job rather than just going cold turkey on and, and all your income and going, yeah, this is going to work perfectly. And I said, then it kind of blitzed the savings a small bit. And then that put, that push, that's put kind of like pressure on you financially, yourself, personally. And then that's massive stress. And I got to the point where I had to go back looking for a job. and. It was funny. I went. I went to I went to three interviews for, for Morgan McKinley, and they. Um, I, I got to the point the right time. We'd absolutely love to hire you, but we I, you can't do it to you. You're like you're an entrepreneur. You want to run your own thing. Yeah. And I and it was like the nicest thing that they've ever that that they've ever done to me in in not giving me a job. Yeah. And then I said, okay, what am I going to do? Let, I'm going to go and apply for a startup space. And however this happened, like stipend indeed and said like startup and it literally, the title was Digital Marketing Manager for Apparel, for startup apparel brand. And I was kind of going, exactly what I've just spent the last 18 months doing. Yeah. And I went out and I had an interview in the in the Bank of Ireland uh, hot desk over on Patrick Street. yeah, And I went yeah. in and met, met two people and at the end, they just went, listen, you know, we absolutely love what you did with Rasher. That was the, the original yeah. name of the business, and we absolutely love what you did with Rasher. We'd love you to start tomorrow, and you know, and and do it with our brand. And I do you have any questions? And I was like, just no, not really. Like, thanks a million for the opportunity. And I said, what? Um, you know, how many people are are working in the team? Yeah. No, no, you're a first employee, and the guy goes, you know, this is this is the CEO, um, and. You know, she'll be, she'll be managing you, but I'm the investor. And he said, I think you're absolutely mental to walk away from what you've created. Don't come on board as an employee. Come on board as a consultant and we'll see how, and see how you get on. And within six weeks, he wrote us a check for 50 grand and that kickstarted the whole thing again. <laughs> Whoa. So kick, like as in the existing company, the the rasher business? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So again, probably still focused on rash fests, yeah. online and in retail. That was still the that was that was the still the goal then. And that was December like eighteen. Mm. And what happened in December eighteen changed the business. So we'd built a really like the brand and the, the creativity of the brand was was really, really cool. So we had like graphic designers from all over Cork basically creating really outlandish, like funky rash fests, kind of the way that you'd see cycling jerseys went from kind of black to then being really creative or yeah. even soccer jerseys. Yeah. Everything has gotten really creative now, but it hadn't in this space. Yeah. So we had a really nice little Instagram following and, you know, people loved it. And there was a, a bit of a, a bit of a following, but just not enough. But, you know, I still get people coming up being like, I have one of your rash vests, you know, from day one and they yeah. were, they were cool. And that des- that December, I got a phone call from the Australian Sailing Association through none of my connections and they said we're just after coming across your Instagram page we have a junior sailing event on in Queensland and we'd love you to design a rash vest for us and I said that's not really what we do Mm. and we just set our own one I can put your logo on it at the moment she goes well I need 800 of them I'll pay you up front and I'll pay you full price And I kind of was like, oh, geez, okay, maybe we actually will do that. Yeah, yeah. So we went from being able to like not scratch two pennies together to getting an order for 20K. And uh, we got a product made with a flag manufacturer in Poland. Product was, the design was brilliant, but the fit of the product wasn't great. Okay. And, but what we did was it was cheaper to fly them out as hand luggage and go to meet all these yacht clubs that had like come into this one event. Yeah. So I rock out and they're like, Who's the Irish guy? So I just sat, like, in the cafe or in the bar at the front with all these kids wearing, like, they had, like, pineapples and bananas and, like, luminous blue and, like, they were so eye-catching and anybody went, these are amazing. Who's to talk to? Go talk to the Irish guy sitting in the the bar. Yeah. And um, so I just had all of these kind of, I wouldn't call them, like, trainers or, like, instructors from their local yacht club because this Mm. was a national event. Yeah coming over and like, we'd love to do this with our event. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Here's a business card, here's a business card. Came home then and we probably got like five or five or six orders then off the back of that. And it's funny how you never you never really follow the same thing that, uh, that was working. So we probably continued investing in the brand for, you know, the next year. We released a new range of rash fests. We invested in digital marketing. We did all of that. And then one day I was like walking down the street just going, why don't I just double down on what's actually making us money? You know, instead of instead of like selling to the consumer, which we're doing in dribs and drabs, Yeah. why don't we actually just try and contact teams and events and Go see if we... Straight to the organisation. Just straight to the organisation and see if people are interested. Mm-hmm. So it turned out there was, a, there was a lot more people interested in the idea of we're promoting sustainability at our event. We're banning single-use plastics, we're banning, you know... Um, bringing in any um, water bottles, all this kind of stuff. And then they were able to say, and the product that we're using as our giveaway is also made. I think the pr- fabric at the time was from um, recycled fishing nets. So it was a great synergy there. Yeah, And th- looking back at it now, I actually didn't realize that the consumer part of building the brand was delivering the B2B business. Yeah. So it's something that now we like really invest in um, the consumer side. So having your Instagram, having your content, you know, having your own store that sells your own products, which is really only 5% of the business, whereas that B2B side of things is 95% of our revenue. But the reason they come to us is because you're a brand. It's not, you're not a, you're not dealing directly with a factory. Mm. They want to be able to point their customers or their followers or their stakeholders to the brand that they got their recycled product from.
0: A lot of B two B businesses could probably learn from that because they don't have what would you say a great front end in terms of their brand images and perfect. They tend to shy away from putting nice images out their videos, nice graphics. You know, they don't even have brand guidelines. You know, they just go sell, sell, sell.
1: And it, and again, it takes, it does take investment. You know, it's it not, does, yeah. it's not a. And I, and I'm, I don't even think that our content creation is at the level that it needs to be. Um, we have a hell of a lot, a long way to go. And, but at the same time, when you're dealing with, at the moment, like what we're dealing with, say Suzuki, you know, or um, big global organization mm-hmm. and they're jumping onto your, you know, they, you know, you're dealing with maybe even a marketing agency between you and Suzuki and they're dealing with the marketing director over there. And then he's pitching it to the CEO and the, and the, and the senior team, yeah. And then they're going, oh, but who's making it? And they're going, oh, Ocean R is making it for us. Um, And then they jump onto our website and they go, actually, you know, that's pretty impressive. Whereas if it was just a, you know, typical B2B website where you have a contact us form and that's it. I don't think anybody gets too excited about it. So with the progress then of the B2B side of the business, was it a case of we're going to have to rebrand? Yeah, absolutely. So before we rebranded, we got probably two of our it's kind of household names um, we had information that I've been advised that Necker Island which is uh, Richard Branson's kind of home out in the BVI yeah. that 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 deal for their uniform was going out to tender and they were currently with Under Armour and they had been with Under Armour for seven years but they didn't again like the idea of dealing with you know an account manager you get sent kind of you get sent the catalogue and you're just they're just a they're just a small fish in a really big pond. Yes. So it went out to Patagonia, Adidas and back to Under Armour and ourselves. And you're in a big fish there actually. A big pond. Like, know like, with the water and, and stuff like that. Oh, and it was and it was gas, but I knew we were different. So like yeah. how we would be different to them is that they would send us the brand guidelines like you talk about. Yeah. And then they would send us some like inspiration. So like there's no better place to get inspiration. They have like you know, flamingos, they have beautiful floral um, flowers, they've got um turtles around the place, they've mm. they have everything that you yeah. can use to yeah. design like in the design. So we I'm embarrassed like if the, the looked at the designs that we sent them the last day. And like this is four, your four n- years Original ago. ones, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's crazy. And um like two you know, like two D, nearly like my hand drawing kind of going, we could do this. And they said you know, can you sample them for us? And I went, okay, get on to our factory, let's sample them. Mm. And they got them. And I remember getting a phone call from, he was the head of operations and he said, hi Tom, Tristan here. Operations for Virgin. It's owned by Virgin Limited Edition. So they own like um, eight premium um, resorts around the world. Yeah. Okay. Tristan here, I'm in London. Can Are you here tomorrow? And I remember being like eight o'clock on like a Wednesday night and I was right in there. Yeah, I'm actually funny enough like I actually yeah, am yeah. and jumped on a Ryanair flight and it, I couldn't genuinely now, I couldn't afford the Ryanair flight. I had to borrow for the Ryanair flight yeah. I, I, and I, I mean that. I remember getting on um, to my dad at times, like I need your credit card. I need like 80 yeah. euro and probably, you know, 100 euro spending when I'm over there. Got out there, walked in, 10 minute meeting. He literally went, I just wanted to make sure you had two arms and a head um, and if something went wrong, I'm calling you. Yeah. And I was like great and then three days later your phone called I me mean, congratulations you got the order for the entire there's 140 staff on Necker Island oh. and their boutique gift shop. We went from like again like you know that 20 grand bit one was the biggest one and then this was this could have been like 80 or 100k and we were going bloody hell. And it was just the name. But so it we, was to be associated with them would oh, also open the door to maybe people who would want to be like them. Yeah absolutely. So in the in that um industry, kind of that private island industry, mm. they're seen as the guys. Yeah. So it's three hundred and fifty K a week to stay there. Um mm. and that's to rent it for twenty four people. You rent the entire island, three hundred and fifty grand. So people get headhunted all the time to come and then run other private islands. So I was really fortunate enough to um when we got that investment early on, I had a um a girl, Christina, join um and she was our kind of first, she was, she's now done everything. I'd say she's she's done like accounts payable, she's done sales, she's done marketing, she's done operations, yeah. she's done everything. And she was with me for the whole thing. So she ended up being like sales and I, we just went, get a list of all the private islands in the world and start calling them. And like now if there's a list of 20 of the top private islands and where we work with 18 of them. Whoa. <laughs> now... It the sounds really again, you can tell the story however however yeah. you want, but they could be small, like they're not yeah, they yeah. it could be like, you know, literally it could be two and a half grand and 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 the other and some of them might be slightly bigger, but again, that just opens it opens doors into into other places. So we kind of went, like I said, from building the consumer brand, having that presence online and 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 probably some product validation by the stores that we were in, yeah. to then getting a couple of nibbles from kind of events and teams to then getting the Necker Island one and then just starting our journey now in Supriat's resorts and we call them like marine corporate. So Suzuki's kind of got like, they they sell engines for boats. So yeah, yeah. that kind of marine environment. And we'd still operated under Rasher for a long time, but we were now doing, well, I'd say we, we might've been doing like 140 different products all from a sta- sustainable materials. And not just uh, the rash fest and... No, no. So like we'd done like, you know, Again, it's kind of, it's casual wear, big time. So it's like, it's nearly active wear. It's active wear into this premium market. Yeah. So you're talking, you know, Necker Island sounds really um, fancy and all the rest of it, but like they're really casual. So they're wearing swim shorts and polo shirts and they want to be sustainable. So now we were telling them your order has saved, you know, let's say 50,000 plastic bottles from going into landfill. So their marketing team is delighted. Mm. They're promoting it. Then you're getting more inquiries from the people that follow them on social media. Yeah. And we really wanted to do kind of like joint PR with a lot of these names that were coming in. Yeah. And the feedback, because we had great relationships with them and feedback was, guys, like, you know, have you thought of potentially changing the name from Rasher? You know, it made sense when you were selling us one product. Yeah. But now you're selling us uniform and and you're talking like, you know, Bigger household names like the Four Seasons, where you have a really strict communication plan, mm. and you know they're very sensitive of who they partner with. Yeah, and um, I said, yeah. So we 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 did a, a round of funding um, with Enterprise Ireland and and, a, and an investor. And one of the the, th- the key things that we were doing with that was going away and just getting our branding um, sorted. So we we got onto a, a company owned actually by a guy from Kinsale, but he lives in the south of England. Brandwave and they do like sports branding. So they'd worked with all the big boys. Like they'd worked with Heli hansen they'd worked with musto they'd work, and it was really nice for them to come and go, This is what we think. This is you're 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 selling premium product to a premium customer. Yeah. You need to have premium um font, you need to like come across as being um of that of that kind of um industry. And and they were the guys that came back and said, you know, would you consider changing to Ocean R? And it's gas. Like people that we would have contacted the week before under Rasher were now sending us inbound inquiries as Ocean R. I was going, we did the exact same thing. It, yeah. But I mean, people say my name does, isn't it? It's just, if, if you, people say that branding doesn't matter, it completely does. It does, yeah. You know, massive, a massive, massive, part of it. So he kept the R? Kept the R. That was the And that do was people the ever ask you, what does that mean? Yeah. And, and, and you know... It, there's there's been a number of of words linked to it like recycled, yeah. um, uh, return, reuse, um, and it just it's just stuck there since the Rasher day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was Rasher was just an abbreviation of Rash Fest. I'd love to come up with a big flamboyant sort story for you, but it's actually just it's just there actually for that. branding. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. And Tom, going on the I suppose this is the end eco friendly. You know the products that you have. Like, how do you go about sourcing that?
1: Yeah, sourcing it's gotten easier in all honesty. So it's we 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 have um like a six pillar approach to our, our sustainable um kind of our, our six sustainable pillars. One of them is fabric. So okay. you everything we do we look for like a cert. So whether that's organic cotton or whether it's recycled polyester. The recycled polyester can kind of come from literally ocean waste that's been collected. It can come from recycled fishing nets or it can come from recycled plastic bottles. Yeah. The caveat you always kind of have, try to be as transparent as we can. Caveat that you always put is that because of the deterioration of the the plastic from the ocean and the and the and the fishing nets, you have to um, improve the quality of the polymer by adding some recycled plastic bottles to it. So if yeah. we have a fabric that's recycled ocean waste, that kind of means that there's probably ten percent ocean waste in it, and there's probably ninety percent recycled plastic bottles in it. Okay. Yeah. So our fabrics are one. We then basically our factory, we make everything in Europe. So we, our community. So we talk about people, people, product, and planet. The first is people is our community. The second is our product. So we look at the fabric, but then we do a full life cycle analysis of the product from start to finish. Mm. So how much carbon has been involved, how many people have touched it, how far it's traveled from fabric through to the final the final product landing yeah. into Ireland, how much water it uses. And basically all the products that we sell have a QR code on it now where you can scan and get that information. The next we have then, like, we have a take-back system in place. So when we work with, say, Necker Island, we basically offer them at the end of every year to return the the, the uniform, we repair what we can, and then we recycle the rest of it. So instead of it going to landfill in the BVI, we can basically shred it in Riga and then it gets sold to the... um, to a car seat manufacturer, and they use it for the stuffing in the car seats over oh. in over in Riga, and then we so we offset all the the carbon for for the business and the products, and then for every product we sell, we remove a kilo of ocean waste with a with a kind of a plastic, um, collector in in the Mediterranean.
0: Yeah, like when you say ocean waste, does someone come along with a trawler and and swooping up all the stuff that's there's, in there or what?
1: Yeah, so there's it's gotten it's gotten more transparent now. Because there's a lot of people claiming ocean waste, what does that mean? but you can have ocean bound waste, you can have ocean waste or you could have like coastal waste, mm. so like ocean waste means anything five kilometers off the off the um the coastline, yeah ocean bound waste is then collected in rivers, and then coastline could be that was on the beach so and then you have and then you have like upstream waste as well, and it's collected you know before it comes down into the into the rivers, so we could have. We have a variety. We have people that are actually fishing for it, literally fishermen that are going out mm. collecting it, and then that gets handed back into a recycling centre. The recycling centre will uh, send it off to be processed. And basically what happens is it all gets shredded. It then gets, it goes into an extrusion line where the you shred it and then it goes up, it melts, and then it comes back down in kind of nearly like um, spaghetti. And then there's a big blade that chops it all up into... Um, if you ever can picture like horse feed, it's yeah, like yeah, it's like horse yeah. feed, but it's they're made of plastic, it's that kind of pellet form. We send the pellets off to a off to a mill and they, they basically melt it and it comes out like candy floss, it comes out into yarn. Yeah. And that's where we get involved. We buy that yarn and then we'll we'll basically make fabric from from that yarn. So we have about 18 fabrics that we use. And um we'll say, I'll give you an idea, let's say there was for the rash fest like we talked about. There's 20% spandex in it and 80% polyester. So there'd be eight strands of, of um, polyester and there'd yeah. be two of spandex. And then that gets woven into a fabric. So you've got a, an element of elastane in it and then you've got the polyester as well. And then we'll stock that in the factory in Riga. And when people order off us, we basically go, oh yeah, what fabric do they want to use? And then we'll pick the one that they need and, and, and pass on that marketing message back to them. I'm guessing it's it's costly to put to do that process, is it? Yeah, like so we're be completely transparent as always, is um we we don't get involved with the fishermen. We pay the um the charity that employs the fishermen to take their waste. So we'll get involved we'll basically get involved at the yarn stage where it's coming out yeah. um as that candy floss like material. And there's we might have I think it's about eight or nine different sources for that different yarn. It could yeah. be Poland, Italy Kind of from the Med, and then it could be Taiwan, China. There's there's a lot in the Middle East as well. But like the problem is when you go down to costing it, to do to like to pay for that yarn is probably five times more expensive than paying for from anything else. Mm. But the benefit to doing it from recycled is 80% less water, 90% less carbon, um, just the fact that you're taking plastic out of a of landfill or preventing it from going to landfill or ocean. So the, the upsides are enormous. Um and now we're starting to look at new fabrics um that would potentially replace polyester. Um so we're now getting involved with hemps and we're getting involved with natural f- fibres at the same time.
0: Must be very rewarding though, to think that, you know, it's you're like the opposite of fast fashion.
1: Yeah. I and and there's a there's a new just in the European Union recently there's a new directive that the Europe is going to ban flat, fast fashion practices. Yeah. So I think we're we're in a good space, but we're going to have a lot of competition from the big boys. Like, They'll have to change. They're, they're going to have to change. Um.
0: And they could buy your material then. They
1: could buy your material. The the work, like the thing that you take comfort from is that we we have our own factory. So what like what actually ends up happening in a lot of cases have a relationship with a factory in Portugal. And recently Reebok came in and just took the whole capacity of the factory and we had a we had a collection ready to go with them. Yeah. And it was just, sorry, you know, the guys have come in and taken the whole factory. Whereas now we've got our own small factory that might grow, you know, you you don't get to. Yeah. But even through that small factory, like this year, we did something like 520,000 plastic bottles avoided going to landfill. Whoa. But it's a lot like. that's a lot. And just, and that's probably, and um, that is probably 100,000 products you know this year that we that we that went that went that equals that kind of five hundred so thousand or after
0: drinking a mineral or a water or whatever, and it ended up as yeah, a as a as, as a, a top or
1: absolutely yeah and the future really is and as of kind of two or three weeks ago, I just out of a couple of shows, and the future is to be able to recycle the recycled polyester tops back into recycled polyester tops so the that's one of the limitations to using plastic bottle into polyester is a, at the moment the technology isn't there for it to go mm. recycle for a third time so that's where we end up shredding it and putting it into the stuffing of of car seats or into the into cushions like we have a a number of our resorts will actually buy their own branded cushions out of the ocean waste fabric and we use their uniforms to go into the stuffing of the pillow Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then again, it's just a great story. Then for their it's like the circle
0: of the circle of products rather than life, kind of it, absolutely it kinda, it just reinvents itself over time. You absolutely.
1: Know? And that's kind of just obviously trying to limit waste. Um, you know that circular economy. Um, bit is 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 majorly important to to the world basically as we're going forward. And then twenty twenty comes along, rebranded,
0: and <laughs> COVID kicks in. Yeah, that obviously impacts all those industries.
1: Yeah, But I think. Yeah, I'm not taking credit for it but again you're kind of looking at it going we had just closed Necker. Yeah. Everything was going well. We had the best quarter that we'd ever had. Pipeline was big. We had big but it was, you know, big in, in our terms. In your terms, yeah. And um, we had a team in place. We we're, were super excited. We had a team maybe at the time of maybe eight in place, you know, yeah. and, and we um, we just started getting people going I'd love to work with you, but our country's just been shut down. Yeah. You know, I can't, we can't, there's no point in bringing in product that we can't sell for the next 12 months. And mm. so literally a, a pipeline, you know, literally seven figure pipeline was just smashed, absolutely smashed. And um, I remember talking to our, the guy that r- runs our factory in, in Latvia, in Riga, and he said, Tom, I have to shut down as well. Or I have to start making PP gear, and that's that's that was a directive from the Latvian government. And he said, "I'm going to try doing masks. Do you want to do you want to try and roll them out?" And this was, you know, like if COVID kicked off in February, we're talking like the middle of February. We're having this conversation. Yeah. And he he said uh, we both laughed. Who the hell is going to wear a face mask? Like <laughs> in a base. Like and I remember the date is going. Okay, I'll I'll roll it out to um. I'll roll it out to one or two of my guys and see if they're interested. And a couple of the resorts took them because they remained open. Yeah. Um, small figures. And we had Paddy, who's the um, diving organization that people might know. Oh so if yeah, you ever... the P-A-D-I, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. so they do. Uh, so we would have made rash Rashfest for them. And I rolled it out to those guys and they went, okay, we'll trial it. They have like 30 million people on social media. Whoa. And I were going, trial it. Okay, what do you mean? We'll take 500. And I laughed. I went, okay. Probably need to add two zeros to that, but anyway, let's see. So on a Friday, we designed a couple of designs. They put it out, and again, it was using our sustainable materials. So yeah, it was yeah, it was made from ocean waste. the The polyester was made from ocean waste. So not only were we early to the face mask, we were also the sustainable face mask made from ocean waste, custom designed, reusable. It was taking a lot of boxes. Yeah. no single no single use plastic, all this kind of stuff. So we we were kind of there right at the beginning and. They released it and they sold the 500 out in something like 18 seconds Mm -hmm. and they came back and we need, we need more. And I went, okay, how many more? took 500. Like, okay. So that was on the Friday and by on the Monday, they were up to 20,000. They needed 20,000 face masks. So we did in that, in that year, it's, we managed to keep everyone employed. We managed to keep, um, all the lights on. I think we went on to that, um, Subsidy payment maybe for like three or four weeks. Yeah, we came out the other side of it, and like somehow, and then you were looking in two thousand and twenty-one, and everyone's going, "Oh, you know, this is great now. The world has reopened." That was the scariest year. That was that was that, wasn't that was back tough. to normal yet really yeah. not 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 in our space. Yeah. You know, it was it those was, islands were still affected, and all, they were know, there was much travel, no travel. You had like you know, Caribbean would be massive for us, and they yeah. they were they were closed. Uh, Maldives is massive for us; they were closed. But again the the investment that we had raised, we probably had like loads of plans for that money. Yeah. But we had to use that to kind of keep the lights on. And yeah. And we made that decision as a as a company, as a kind of a board. We went, you know, we either roll up in a ball, yeah, save the money and yeah. come back, or you're here for when the world reopens. Yeah. So we kept the lights on again. We're like, this isn't going to last forever. We had everyone working from home as many people did. And there's a few poor um, sales guys around Cork that would have um that would have worked with us and I remember after the rebrand, we had no website, no catalogue, probably an email address and, we, and COVID. And we had these guys, sales guys and we were like beating the sale guy up being like, you are not hitting targets, you are not hitting <laughs> targets. And we're like, we don't have a website, we don't have a catalogue. Yeah. And in fairness to them, they must be the best sales guys out there because they, they managed to to get something through the door. It was amazing. So that was 2021. And we so we survived that and then we're back this year and we've had... Yeah, definitely like as our journey goes it's supposed to be our best year but we um we got to a position where we were able to acquire the factory that we've been working with for the last 4 or 5 years. But so it it was outsourced all along. It was outsourced all along. Yeah. Um so we had that's how you do it really you'd partner with um we've been to Italy, we've been to Poland and I got a phone call one day off a guy um a New Zealander living in Riga in Latvia. I said, you know, do you want to come out and we started that relationship probably four years ago and then did he do the first, he did the first Necker order so it was, yeah, that long and then early, about a year ago to literally to December last year we started the conversation about acquiring it. Mm. That took us interesting, an interesting sidestep this year. So, we had just sat down with the, with the solicitors in like December last year we issued three letters of offer and I spoke to this guy, Peter, like every single day, like we were business partners and um, yeah. he's an older guy that had like loads of experience and p- part of the deal that we were going to do with him is that they would get a, a chunk of equity in in Oceanar, so that yeah. he would stay on as a business partner. And we, like I said, we speak every day and out of nowhere he just went quiet and I remember going, bugger, like he's either, something has happened or... You know, I don't think he would have ripped me off, but like mm-hmm. there's all that uncertainty in the back of your head. And we were now, at the time, I think we were exhibiting in like Dubai Boat Show and I get off, a, I get off the plane from Dubai and just get open my WhatsApp and I have a message from my solicitor saying, unfortunately, sad news, Peter's passed away. Oh, so it, the his this guy that I'd been, you know, dreaming of kind of you know bloody building a building a business with had gotten three strokes and and got covid in the end and, and and sadly died so i went out to the funeral and the um meet the son who'd flown in from new zealand and he was a lovely kid like 22 daniel and his godfather and having no idea what to expect and i go out and the employees there's 65 people in the factory and they've they don't know anybody so they're looking in a in their boardroom and i'm the only guy that they recognize so you're getting like these people coming up like hugging and crying, like going, "You're so good to come over." Yeah, you know, thank you so much. Um, you know, do we have a job? Do we not have a job? And I said, "You know, leave it with me." I, you know, I'll let you know. Let you know. I'll let you know. So we did the funeral and then sat down with the with the son and the godfather on the Sunday. Um, quite hungover over, and they went like, "Tom, we're going back to New Zealand." You know, what do you think about taking over full management control uh, tomorrow morning? Yeah. Well, I've like, never ran a factory. Um, so. We went in on the Monday morning and um, called a called a senior management meeting, and I just went, "Guys, this is going to be a tough couple of months." Um, there's enough money in the bank for everyone to get paid, and the payday was like literally on on Thursday. Like, there's enough money for everyone to get paid, but we really need to get like everything focused. Need to find out who owes us money, who we owe money to, and that was that was on the the last the last day in February, like the last week in February. And I've worked with the the son over the last um in the background, basically over the last kind of nine months to finalise that deal and we finalised it last week. So now you you have what sixty five employees in, yeah. in Latvia? So you have sixty five yeah, sixty five in Latvia and about fifteen twelve or fifteen here. I've come a long way since trying to
0: get your dad to pay for the credit card <laughs> on that
1: flight. Um yeah, like it's a it's a it's a funny one because you you really don't feel like you've achieved anything in a in a funny way yeah like it's still it's I always had a thing in my head that like if you got to a certain size that everything would get easier mm. complete opposite like you know more like, headaches come do it more headaches come and um I I I struggle hugely with like confidence so mm. I'm like like a buddy of mine who's got um he owns like M and p Sullivan's um the cash and carry yeah. And you always be like, you know, once you, once it dawns on you that you're well able, you'll actually you'll do well. But yeah, like, I yeah. just, I always sit there, kind of going, you're second guessing yourself, and yeah, and you don't really have the confidence to kind of to not to drive it forward because you drive it forward definitely, but it's it's kind of like self belief, I suppose. So yeah. um, we had, um, yeah, I think the proudest the proudest moment we had recently was we um, flew the team in Ireland out to Riga, and we had an awards night for. Uh, for all of the crowd in, in Riga, so it's seventy five in the room, and I was able to talk about Ocean to you know these new the, the new team, and you know again they're just overwhelmed. These seamstresses, like there's a team of like thirty five seamstresses. They'd never they'd never had a three course meal like for a Christmas party, and yeah. we were able to bring them all together yeah. as part of the senior team. There was no like difference as you would in Ireland, but yeah, it's yeah. Um,
0: different culture, and different, different cultures.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I was like, you know what. This isn't, this isn't you're the production team and we're the sales and marketing team mm-hmm. and we're not going off to do like big fancy things and just leaving you guys to do, you know, we might, you know, have a an in-house party. So it's all part of the one team and, and they, the reception was absolutely incredible, like unbelievable. Um, I, I questioned doing like an awards night where we got everybody to vote. You got everyone to vote for their peers. So it was like, yeah. who's the, who's the most helpful in your department? Yeah. Who's the who's the hardest working. So they all, they all voted. So it wasn't like the management telling them. Yeah. And like, unbelievable. Like, they all like standing ovation, all the seamstresses standing ovation to their peers that were receiving an award for the first time for the recognition of hard work all the way up to like our, our head of marketing receiving, you know, a standing ovation for for hard work. So, um, yeah, it was super, it was probably the first time that I've like real sense of like, um, proudness from kind of bringing everyone together.
0: And you've got a lot of great publicity. Am I right in saying that about a year or two ago you got covered by CNN?
1: Yeah, that was the face masks. It was gas. So the, that was funny, yeah, because CNN, Forbes and Leonardo DiCaprio all posted in the same day. And it was, I remember, you know the way we were all in lockdown and used to have, um, you'd have like, uh, quizzes like which are buddies. Oh, you know like just, yeah, he, yeah, so yeah, someone yeah. would like host a quiz and you'd be like this is my social interaction on a Friday evening. Yeah. And one of the girlfriends of my buddy who was doing the quiz just went Tom um, are you doing those masks for for Paddy for um, that's you know the recycled ocean waste I was like yeah Leonardo DiCaprio just posted it on his Instagram and I was like that's, that's funny. It crashed our whole so we were doing consumer as well, selling. And did he tag you in the post? Tagged did us it? in the post, and I I must have done every radio station in in Ireland after that. It was funny. It was just like feel good things because it was of such a terrible. People are looking life. for stuff like that, yeah. It was um, and yeah, if we could just get that sort of coverage now with our mainstream yeah. products, that would be the ideal situation. <laughs> did you send them out any products or anything? Do you know what <laughs> happened? Was there was so many tags. I whatever whoever runs his social media took it down after about twenty four hours. Yeah. So I wh- whether they don't promote businesses right. yeah. or something, yeah. it was like it was just whipped down because there was all these tags like Tom Carter, Tom Carter, Tom Carter, Tom Carter, <laughs> um, and like all the buddies like writing underneath, being like, "This is my friend," and yeah, and then all of a sudden it was just
0: whipped down. And that's a big thing. Like you went back to that whole isolation thing in Australia, where you're in your own little bubble, whereas here you have that network. Even people that only half know you would tag you in a post. Absolutely. That, yeah, yeah. It is an Irish thing
1: as well. Yeah. It? And it's great. People, like, it was such a weird time. Like, I think we all forget about it. Yeah. We were talking, like, we had our Christmas party the other day, like, as our buddies. And we we're going, this is the third Christmas, like, we haven't done anything for three Christmases. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and it's nearly, like, you need to kind of take, someone said it to me a couple of weeks ago, like, just take a day or two to, like, actually reflect and go, that was tough. Mm. We're through it and, mm-hmm. you know, and just remember kind of what we're kind of grateful for, I suppose. And moving forward, like what's the next steps for Ocean R? So whether it will work or not, again, the self-confidence part of it, but I really want to put a retail presence on the floor. But our retail presence isn't local. It would be we want to have like a satellite office. So we'll do one in Dubai by probably the end of this year. and. A it's shop, a shop, but it's it 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 basically doubles up as a shop and a satellite office. Yeah. So if you look at our business and you know five percent being the consumer side and the retail space, mm. and then ninety five percent being B two B. Yeah. It doesn't really make sense to go then like invest a chunk of change just chasing the the retail. Yeah. So how we would look at that is that there would be kind of clubhouses or um, meeting spaces. So we would have like a salesman based in a very again talk about brand, brand awareness, selling B2C product, depending on how that rolls out, but most importantly having a B2B B salesman in that part of the world that can look after the UAE. Yeah. So we now work with probably the top like some of the top resorts and hotels in Dubai and the Maldives and Saudi Arabia. And for them to have a local point of contact mm. would be would be really uh, beneficial for us. So it doubles up. It's not just kind of saying we're going to take a huge space of, um, you know, a huge space, put in loads of product and load of stock. I really want this to be like limited amount of stock and be this kind of really premium meeting space for people to walk down and have the, ger- the general manager of the Atlantis Dubai, you know, come down and actually meet our sales guy in person and get a, yeah. having a nice coffee or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and be given five-star service because we're actually selling to that five-star, you know, clientele. And, going forward there you, I've kind of got four locations in mind to kind of cover the various um, geographic locations so you I do Palm Beach um, in Florida Singapore potentially somewhere in the south of France and then Dubai as well Big difference from the Rubicon Centre in, in Bishopstone We might be back there yet but um, again it sounds fancy but it's you know what it. it it's not really. It's still as... Str- like, it's so... It, it's so stressful. You know, yeah. that's the goal. That's the you goal, might yeah. never get there. Yeah. Um,
0: I know you're worried about the people in Latvia and stuff as well. Correct. Yeah. And are they making stuff for other companies
1: as well? So everything is now done through us. You know, they had a couple of clients that they would have done, like, white label for. Okay. So they would have done, say, gear for the Olympics. Yeah. They That Olympic contract now will come to come us through. and come to yeah. Oshinar. There is definitely an element of biting off too much, you know, yeah. more than you can chew. The idea of setting up in Dubai sounds like a great idea, but then you have a young family that you've got here, you've got a two year old, you know, it sounds great. I was looking at a factory in Sri Lanka um two two or three weeks ago and, you know, amazing opportunities to partner with the people out there if we just still want just kinda of, to continue that B2B, yeah. um that B2B business.
0: And in terms of the original team of people is it just you left or are the two lads still there
1: as well no so the two lads early like really early on it was it got to a point of um business wasn't able to self sustain yeah. kind of three salaries it never re- it never really did um yeah. early days so the, the the guys i think al went back to dog day and then john actually went and worked for the web summit he'd stepped away from ramen yeah and we tried it for ages we like we tried it and i think i think the lads would agree with me but it was um We've never really talked about it properly, but I think it was an element of like too many chefs. Yes. You know, so we had like, we'd have like a board meeting and it would literally get down to, you know, you know, the coffee cup is black and then the next person would go, no, it's dark navy. And then someone else would go, no, it's yellow. And you'd all leave the board meeting going, there was no decisions made and nothing would happen because I didn't want to insult one of the lads and overstep on them and they didn't want to overstep on me. And we kind of just went, we used used to just kind of procrastinate a lot about stuff. And the guys just went on to kind of like full-time jobs and getting paid well. And I was kind of getting paid minimum wage from the business. So mm. we ended up um, kind of buying them out over a period of time. And I'm still like best friends with the two of them. So it's, um, it was a good
0: ending. And the guy that you got that interview in Bank of Ireland. <laughs> Pat. <laughs> yeah.
1: He's still involved. Very much so. So like, again, like haunted, like, like very, very lucky. Very, yeah. very lucky. Again, you don't go for the interview, you don't get the funding and you don't, you're don't. you not sat here, genuinely. Yeah. And more importantly, I remember when Pat came on board, he said, you know, obviously there was a bit of money involved, but he said, you know what I'm going to give you? I'll give you two days a week for the first year. Mm. And Pat, Pat was involved in a company called DPS Engineering and I think they they, yeah. they have roughly about 2,000 employees now. Oh. So Pat is like, you know, wealth of experience. Yeah, and Pat comes in and, I'm like, you know, going around like a headless chicken. He's like, no, no, like your plan is just do this, this, then this, and he still probably doesn't do two days a week, but he probably does a day a week at the, at the very least. And um, yeah, I have a terrific relationship with him. He's very supportive of what I do,
0: like a mentor as well. I'd say.
1: Is he? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I've never, and it's funny because I I probably need to find more mentors, but I haven't had to because I just pick up the phone and ring him every time. And yeah. and it could it could be from anything, could be staff related, could be. Um, uh, cash flow it could be it could be anything sales whatever yeah. and he's just seen it before do you yeah. know he's yeah. he's just been around the block a few times and you know nothing I think it's nice for him you know if you're coming from a, a business where 2,000 employees if we have you know back when we are trying to freak out about things he might have like five and he's kind of he's kind of laughing not laughing in a yeah, disrespectful it's not way. a huge problem for it's him it's not a huge yeah. one and yeah. in your head it's you know your yeah. brain's melting but um hugely fortunate, like there's you know on the other side of things there's horror stories of a person getting the wrong guy, yeah, and he comes in and he takes the company off you or he closes the company mm. or he he disagrees with your plan, like never ever he just you know he'd support you, he might guide you, he kind of he'll he might tell me the probably the biggest thing that he might say is like, do you really need to do that like a perfect example, do you really need to open up the shop in dubai this year, yeah, yeah. and I'd be going, you really have to he go. Don't think we do. Maybe we put it through to 2024. <laughs> I'm like, okay, and then I let him think about it for a while, and then we'll do it in 2024. You know, it's like yeah, so yeah. Um, so it's a good relationship.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a good relationship. And speaking of advice and tips, we
1: always finish the
0: podcast with three questions. Okay, okay. So the first one, you're in that hot seat now, and you know you're you're thinking about you know building the business and going forward into 2023 or whatever. But other people are at the start of a journey. What tip
1: would you give maybe a startup business? I think I I touched on one already, which is leave it, grow organically. Mm. Yeah. That's for really early stages. Yeah. And then the second, I think, is is find that mentor that will actually stay with you for a long period of time. Like there's a lot of mentors out there mm. that are great, um, but they might come in and listen to you for three minutes yeah. and then give you all their advice. Yeah, And I, I do a tiny bit of mentoring for people, not at any high, high level, but I always apologise straight away and I kind of go like, you're going to talk to me for five minutes and I'm going to tell you how to do it. Like, you know better than anybody how to do it. I can just try and, it's really like a counselling session, try yeah, and get yeah, people to yeah. try and figure it out themselves. Um, But if you can get someone who's actually going to listen to you for an hour or you put a brief together and listen to you for an hour and maybe meet you once a month for for the next 12 months, Hmm. I'd like to kind of say that that shouldn't cost you anything if if you find the right person. Yeah. They might just do it for their own interest, yeah. semi-retired, yeah. trying to trying to um, get involved in something and see something grow.
0: Yeah. And what tip would you give an individual? So I'm thinking even that person that's, you know, the leaving or student that you are, that maybe, you know, was going through a hard time. You know, there's probably a lot of younger people listening to this and even older as well that are going through uh, a tricky stage in their life. It's really,
1: it's, it's really cliche um, about doing what you love. Like I absolutely love what I do. I don't think you can go through the hard times if you don't love it. Yeah. Like yeah. it is going to be a stressful journey. Um, If you enjoy the journey rather than going, I want to be a millionaire in a yeah. year's time, yeah. then, then that's half the battle. Yeah. It's less about the money and more about,
0: I suppose, living for each day and loving what you do and loving the journey that you're on yeah,
1: yeah like I there's not a point there's, there's not a point in the in the last say five years that I've gone I, I do not want to go to work tomorrow and and that's really unique the last question I have
0: it's in association with our show sponsor skills base so taking your industry what's the essential skill you need for I suppose the activewear industry in particular
1: I'm terribly, not lazy is the wrong word, but I delegate okay. everything. Yeah. And I've like worked with people who don't. So I'm, I would say like jack of all trades, like expert in none. Mm. So like delegation is great. Um, And, and I, I think like. no, kind of speaking down to people, like, but you yeah. know, you're talking about people skills. Yeah. Right? And my, my problem is I think is uh, I try, you kind of try to be friendly with everybody and mm. then it's very hard then to be the kind of um disciplinarian then as well. Yeah. And when you're growing a company, you kinda need to be both. Yeah. So I'm not great at confrontation. So I find it really hard to bring someone into the team or into the into a like one-on-one meeting and go, hey, you need to improve on this, this, and this. Yeah. And then that means that you kind of you avoid it. And then that kind of that might grow. And then you have to have a bigger conversation. And that's even worse. So if you if you're a good people manager and a lot of people might get that experience um, you know, in a in a multinational. And then if you're starting your own bit, you're probably used to those performance mm. appraisals and you're probably used to having those one and ones where you you need to follow a process. I don't know what the process is,
0: <laughs> but I'm guessing that the 24 year old out in Australia that was thrown into the deep end as a manager, that probably helped with the people skills. It does,
1: yeah. And it was, I would say, we when I was in Australia we had a team of probably 16, 17, yeah. When I came back and worked in the selling of electricity, it was about 16, 17 was there as well. So I only have experience of like that size of team. Yeah. And now you're up to kind of like different cultures and you're different and it's, you know, I'm going over to Latvia with like an Irish approach to things and they're looking at me kind of going, I'm going, but I'm trying to get you all involved in it. They're going, we don't want to be involved. We just want you to tell us what to do. Yeah. So there's a bit of, there's a bit of learning in that, but you, you figure, I I have to figure it out, so. And there'll be a lot more learning to do, I'd imagine, over the next couple of years. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: It's been fascinating to talk to you, Tom. Uh, I know the journey's only after the beginning, really, Fee. Uh, Absolutely.
1: There was when you called me up to have a chat, I was like, I still feel like an imposter that you're kind of sitting down to talk about it. And when I meet people to kind of say mentors, wrong advice or share your story, mm. I'm only I'm only a year or two ahead of them. You know, it's not yeah. like it's a mi- I'm a million miles ahead, um, and a lot can happen for people very, very quickly which has happened for you Um, thanks for sharing it not a problem appreciate it and best of luck going forward thanks very much
0: that wraps up this week's podcast thanks again to our sponsor Skillsbase app which is a solutions provider for companies looking for mobile first engagement and blended learning tools to find out more information on what they can do visit skillsbase.ie don't forget to like and subscribe to the show and get in contact with us on all social platforms I will be back again next week with a brand new episode.